reading and understanding is everywhere, not just in books. It's literally in every facet of our life. So when our kids start out as a disadvantage, we kind of hit these roadblocks and then we're not able to catch up to our white counterparts as quickly or ever. Are you ready? (laughs) You got this, girl. Love Girls, the podcast is all about storytelling and empowerment. Our mission is to share a space for women and girls to talk about the stuff that matters to them most. Love speaks to the support we give each other as we search for our own path to success. L, we can lead the way. O, overcome barriers. V, value each other. E, and empower each other. That's love. Because every girl has a story. And our stories matter. Hi, I'm Brianna, I'm 13 years old, and I'm a student at Rivermont Collegiate. Hey guys, I'm Delasia Dixon, I'm 14 and an online student at Central High School. Hey, I'm Anna Hollenbach, I'm 16 years old, and I go to Moline High School. And I am Teresa Babers, I'm a volunteer and mentor with Love Girls Magazine. Uh, Welcome back for another episode of Love Girls the Podcast. Today, we are talking about literacy. Why aren't kids reading? It's important. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and we have with us today um, someone very near and dear to my heart, Kayla Babers. Yeah. Um, and she is with the African American Leadership Society uh, with the United Way of the Quad Cities uh, because we know one of the factors in reading is ethnicity. About 52% of black fourth grade children and 45% of Hispanic fourth graders score below basic reading levels compared to 23% of white students according to national assessments. And so we're talking about that and why that might be a factor. And we have our students here who are gonna chime in on that. And also our very special guest today is Ms. Valencia Perkins of Memphis, Tennessee. She is a former editor for Love Girls Magazine who went on to be a school teacher and then quit. So we are excited to have her weigh in on this subject. Hello, Valencia. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining us. And um, we'll just jump right in. How did you feel about reading and writing as a kid? Well, I guess I can start. Um, This is Kayla. This is my podcast debut. Um, So you might not recognize my voice over the air, but you will soon. Um, So reading and writing as a kid was very important. Um, My mom went to Illinois State, which is also my college alma mater. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) (laughs) Go Redbirds. And um, she was an English major. And that was kind of just saturated in our childhood growing up. Me and my sister had just crates and crates of board books, um, chapter books, everything. And the stories were just across the board. And that turned into kind of having a want or desire to create stories after hearing stories that we um, were able to relate to. I didn't really read a lot, but I, because I just kind of found it boring and I still do, but 
When I was younger, I loved writing, and I still love writing. I write to this day, but it's, I like writing better than I like reading because reading, you kind of just have to go with it. But when I write, I get to make it my own. So as an avid reader, some might call me a bibliophile. <laughs> um, what, what do you find boring about reading? I don't know. It's just like, I don't feel, I don't know. I don't really know what it is about it that's boring. It's just like you're sitting there reading words on paper. And that, I don't know why, but that's boring to me. Yeah, because it's storytelling. And when we think about storytelling, you know, everything you're watching on Netflix, everything you're watching is storytelling. Um, but I want Valencia to weigh in here. Valencia, tell us about your experiences with reading and your experiences with students and getting them to read. I actually, as a child, I loved um, reading, but um, reading was different for me. Um, we didn't really, I didn't have a library in my home, um, but my mama made it um, her business to take me to the library. So I found um, a love for libraries at a very young age, and I love reading when I get to choose. I don't like being told what to read. Um, I don't like being told what to write. I'm a very creative uh, thinker. And I think when, when people tell you what to read and what to write, how to write, and things like that, um, it can become draining uh, because you're, you're now put into a box of this is how it's supposed to be. This is how I am, a, am supposed to read or write. I definitely agree with you, Valencia. I know um, I went to school for journalism, and so the curriculum was heavily based in writing. And when you transfer from high school to college, even the structures of how you write your stories and how you're from teachers to professors show you how to write your stories is totally different. In high school, you have to have a attention grabber, um, three paragraphs with four sentences, and then a closing, where in college you have a lot more um, creativity, which... There, I found out that I enjoyed writing a lot more at that point when it wasn't confined to some constraints that resulted in A, B, C, or D. Now, Valencia, you were a teacher, and um, you're pretty young, and you've left that teaching um, profession. Can you talk a little bit about that? My first year teaching, I was 22, and... Um, they kind of had us doing things past our job description. Um, I was there to like six o'clock, seven o'clock. Um, I felt like I didn't really have any help. Um, the kids, I mean, the kids ran the school. It felt like the kids ran the school. And I just, I know it was very draining. Um, so I left that school. I actually hopped schools because I was like, you know what, I love teaching. I, is need to figure out which school is going to be my best school. And I went to my second school, and um, there I encountered some racial things. And so I was in a room full of curriculum builders, and they were all Caucasian. But uh, the teachers were African-American, and we could not talk at all. It was, it was just basically, this is what the curriculum is, this is how you're going to execute it, and this is what they need to know. And we <clears throat> were not able to... Um, say yay or nay to the curriculum. 
we weren't able to say, okay, we think this should be tweaked to better fit our African-American and Latino student body. Um, I got in trouble for, for speaking out there, actually, at that meeting. And I was told that I had to leave the meeting. And so... Mm. You didn't feel like the African-American teachers had a voice. Let's talk about the students. Um, Did you find that they were particularly interested um, in reading? Was it difficult to get them to read and write? I was forced to teach things like Shakespearean um, and just certain authors that were not like my students. I'm going to most likely have to bend over backwards to get them to actually want to read something like this. Especially with when you have children or you have kids that come to you on first and second grade reading level with ideas in high school. So a lot of times when I'm doing the work I do when I work with um, African-American children and children of color in the schools is accessibility is a huge issue here in the Midwest. Um, black folks make up about max 9%, and that's everybody from babies to your, your grandparents. Um, so we don't have a very large population. So sometimes I come to these assumptions that maybe somewhere like Memphis, where you're heavily populated with um, black people and people of color, that accessibility might be easier to black stories. Um, but that clearly is incorrect um, by what you just said. Can you kind of talk about how the access or lack of access to diverse stories impacts your students and what stories are actually um, being read that don't really align. So if I had any e-books, I can't assume that the child is going to go home to Wi-Fi as well as a laptop. And uh, the accessibility to, to a diverse amount of stories but my first year teaching, um, I was told, like, I could not uh, change the story. And so that was my belief as a teacher. Like, okay, I'm going to have to read Shakespeare. I'm going to have to read Fahrenheit 451. Fahrenheit 451 is a really great story, but, I mean, I would have rather read something like Tony Morrison um, with my students. A thing that um, I'm reading in school right now is Raisin in the Sun. This is the first time of me reading any book with African-American characters or anything with color. And I just feel that schools should be publishing and trying to educate their students more on black history. And I find it um, weird that we only seem to learn about like white culture or white history and then we do, and when we do learn about black history it's about how we were slaves yeah and they just make it a lot more uncomfortable than it has to be because it's not all about like the slavery and segregation it's we have like other things that aren't as brutal like we have great stories and we have great like songs and everything like that they just make it uncomfortable for like no reason and i don't understand or there's movements like there's a lot of things that i feel like a lot of students are educated on like the black panther movement yeah there's a lot of students that don't even know what that is a lot of students aren't educated on um police brutality and the history of that a whole bunch of incidents that has happened what are the first stories i read with the black character 
as the main. It was about this boy named Salva who was like in Africa trying to escape war. And that was one of the first times I really was super interested in reading about it. And I loved that we got to learn about a black character and that really got me into it. Um, with me, when I was, it was last year in my school, we were reading a book called Monster, and it was about, it was the first book that I read about an African-American main character, but it was about this 16-year-old boy. He was having a trial over a crime. They were trying to figure out whether he was guilty or not guilty, and I liked it because it was like the first story that we've read in school with the black character, but I was also like, well, why did they have to make it about, like, him being a criminal and why they make it seem like he's so bad when there's other things that you could have made it about but like we don't learn we don't read a lot of stories that have black characters in it and when we do i get really excited because i'm like finally we get like representation well, there's a lot of stereotypes like negative on, um, things black yeah. characters like i feel like especially like um black female characters their hair has a big thing to do with yeah. um their role like their hair will be like all curly and crazy when it shows like an angry black woman and then when they're not upset yeah. their hair is straight yeah why like why is that why do they have to put that stereotype on like black women especially angry black women I feel like it's very disrespectful like they're disrespecting a whole community yeah and it's of, like the same in like movies and shows it's always if it's a black woman it's always an angry black woman or she has an attitude or, or a strong or a strong black woman or it's not even a black woman they'll put they will put like a light-skinned woman and that's colorism at its finest they, yeah they won't, they won't even put darker woman for um the character mm -hmm. i know that that was just uh something that came up in a movie on netflix um the harder they fall stagecoach mary is a central character in that story the real stagecoach mary was a heavy set dark skin african-american woman um however she was played by a very petite light-skinned woman we're not um, researchers here but one thing i can say is that um both of my children love to read and one of the things is that i really tried really hard to expose them to african-american books with characters that look like them we had a book called wild wild hair and um we had a book called chicken sunday by patricia polacco who is known for writing stories with diverse characters they could recognize someone who was like their grandmother or someone who was like their uncle or best friend and we read together all the time throughout elementary school and i'm frustrated that kids are not reading i'm frustrated that kids of all colors are not reading and that african-american kids are reading at even lower rates um, we can do better and you know when i was in school I, the only story i remember reading that had an african-american character was um oh my gosh he was on trial for a crime to kill a mockingbird oh. how could i forget that i 
Shame on you. <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird is, you know, a famous story and people should read it. But again, there are just other stories out there. Um, and not just with African-American characters, with Asian characters and with African characters and other kinds of stories we could be exposing these because maybe Brianna reading would be more interesting you know if you were reading about the things that you were interested in with people who you could relate to and that's what I was gonna say I was just about to say like I feel like I would be interested more in reading if I felt like I had some representation in the right way because if I'm reading a book and it's an African-American boy and he's like set as a criminal and it's just all about him being bad. I might read it, but I'm also going to be like, well, why is he like the bad guy? But, but people, if it's people reading that that don't know anything about black culture or don't know anything they're about gonna the black community, they're going to read that book and they're going to be like, oh, all black men are like this. All black yeah, men are criminals. Gonna, all black men are dangerous. If they read a book about an angry black woman, they're going to, oh, all black women are angry. That's a stereotype. Like the books, when we read books about, you know, these rich high school white girls, that's a stereotype that for, you know, all all of these, like, books that we read about white people is that they have money or it's... They're all, like, higher up. And then when it comes to, like, African-Americans or black people, it's, like, it's just different. And I would like to read stuff that represents us in a better way. And hopefully... I know that if I want to be a writer, I'm going to get that across and I'm going to make that happen. But I just want to see it now since I'm a teenager and I understand things better. It's not it's going to take time. But so I have a very crass um, deaf term for what you all are describing and I call it oppression porn. Um, And we find it a lot um, when we're reading black and POC stories um that they're based in negativity um i was talking to my mom the other day and sometimes you just want to watch a show where it's not about being black they just happen to be black yeah um because that's (laughs) how we live our lives yeah we didn't choose to be um african-american that's what we just exist as and everything doesn't have to be tied down to some societal stereotype that is usually somewhat inaccurate and it's not all about us being black it's like we have a life it's not like just about us like because the color of our skin there's like things that we actually do that don't have to involve our color or like certain books and even like movies like you know like with like the high school like preppy girls it's i feel like all the characters are always white and like why why can't there be a movie where it's like all black girls like like black girls that are like that like why do they have to be or if it's like what i've seen if it's a black girl her hair is always straight she's always like she's colonized yeah basically she's like made to fit in with them they strip her from her identity like why can't she wear braids why can't she have beads in her hair why does she have to be something that she's really not but at the same time i went to all white like basically an all white school in orion and i did straighten my hair and i was like that girl that wore their uh, the black girl that did wear their hair straight because yeah that's I like felt me. I felt like I had to fit into a certain like um, stereotype I felt like I had to be something that that I wasn't to feel comfortable or to look like something for people to treat me a certain way because I like, yeah. felt like if I looked a certain way people people are going to look at me as ghetto or mm-hmm. like so you you both are biracial. Yes. And you still, when so when you're reading stories, 
do you ever identify with a Caucasian? Both my parents are black, so I don't have that culture mix. Yeah. So sometimes people think, well, if you're biracial, you can um, align with the white girl because your mom or your dad is white. Um, But from this conversation, it sounds like that's not the case necessarily. I mean, I look at it as like once you're like if you're black, you're black. Like if I was like like back in the day, if I if how things were, I would be a slave. I would. (laughs) You might be in the house. I I might be in the house. I might be cooking dinner. I might be eating good. But I'm still a a slave and I'm still black. I always joke around like that. I tell my mom, I'm like, you know what? If I was a slave, I'd probably be a house slave because because of how light I am, she's like, yeah. And I'm like, no, I didn't want you to agree. I was just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, this has been an interesting conversation. And it definitely, I guess we're all in agreement that culture plays a part in wanting to read. And we can't improve those reading scores unless we want to read. And so maybe that's a starting point for who's ever listening. I wanted to ask you, Valencia, how will low literacy of colored students affect them in the future? Understanding laws as you get older and you have to coexist in this particular society. Um, If you cannot read on your own, how can you know which laws benefit you and your family and which don't? Uh, The system leaves it up to us to self teach a lot of things, um, including laws. So in a book, it's a quote, it says, if you want to, if you want to get past, if you want to get something past black people, put it in a book, something like that. Oh, um, I don't know how it, I feel about that. Yeah. So I just, I just think as, it might not affect them right now as a student, it might, might not affect that, uh, you guys as students. But as you grow older and you have to clean for yourself, you start having to fight cases. You start having to actually be a part of society. At um, my school for um, government history, we're um, learning about our um, rights and our laws because, you know, we the people, we control the government, and he's explaining our laws. I know um, low literacy rates with my experience in working with the schools that it has a a direct impact that happens now. Um, Statistics say if you're not reading by grade level by third grade that it's much harder to graduate and catch up. And I know reading, not just reading, but comprehension. And I think that's what you and Valencia are um, trying to touch on is that when we're reading and we can digest the information, spit it back out and understand it, we can protect ourselves. Um, whether that be with, for instance, buying homes or getting a loan or um, engagement with the police, having an understanding of what we're reading um, is necessary to survive. Uh, and I think it's important to touch on that reading and understanding is everywhere, um, not just in books. It's literally in every facet of our life. So when our kids start out as a disadvantage, um, we kind of hit these roadblocks and then we're not able to catch up to our white counterparts as quickly or ever. Well said. Thanks. <laughs> so I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us for this conversation today. Um, thank you um, so much, uh, Valencia, thank for you. 
being a part of this conversation. I, I want to give you a shout out because uh, you're an author. And um, you want to tell us um, the title of your book and what it's about? I actually have two children's books. Um, my first book I wrote when my father died in college. And um, I was just kind of wondering, like, how do you explain death to a child that is stripped of a, somebody that they're close to um, when they're a child? I was, when I was seven years old, I kind of first experienced that. I used to play uh, with a little girl here and she got shot and killed. Um, she was three years old. <clears throat> and so um, it's kind of always been in the back of my mind to write something like that. But um, it kind of expedited my father died. Um, okay, so how do you explain death to a child? And then my second book is called Where's My Voice? And it's about a little girl losing her voice. And once she finds her voice, she um, uses it for good. A lot of kids say hurtful words. A lot of kids have had hurtful words said to them, right? So that's how, that was my inspiration for that story. And our middle school and high school students, thank you for weighing yes. in. Valencia, if someone wants to reach out to you and find out more information um, about your books, uh, how would they do that? My name is Valencia, V-A-L-E-N-C-I-A, Perkins, P-E-R-K-I-N-S. You can just kind of type that in and find me on TikTok, Instagram. Uh, and I do have a website, Perkins.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. If you'd like to learn some more information about Love Girls Magazine, or maybe you even want to get involved, you can visit lovegirlsmagazine.com. And of course, we want to extend a huge thank you to WVIK for their partnership in making this podcast possible. And you, we want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning into another episode of Love Girls the Podcast, where every girl has a story and our stories matter.